Father, I praise you for your grace and your mercy to us, most clearly given and shown in Jesus. Lord, we know that there is an approaching storm of your wrath over sin, and there is only one shelter in which we can hide, and and that is Jesus, and we praise you for Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that in this community, you've shown so much kindness and mercy to us in so many ways that we could never articulate in the time that we have this morning. And so I just thank you, Father, for your mercy and your kindness to us in Merritt Island and Cocoa and Rockledge and along the beachside. Lord, I thank you and I pray, Father, not only for those of us in this room, but those of your children who are gathered in rooms like this all around this area. God, would you give great grace to them, especially those who are having to recover more than we have lost as a church family. And we think certainly of those on the other coast, those still in Houston putting lives back together. We think of those in Caribbean islands like uh, St. Martin, Father, who were deeply devastated, lost all they had, many of them even their lives. And Father, I pray that you would give power and strength to your church to be raised up for such a time as this, to know and love and live and proclaim the one and only gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God to save. So Lord, give grace to us today. Give grace, Father, to our brothers and sisters gathered in other gatherings, and Lord, be glorified among us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter two. Two weeks ago, we started a series in the book of Jonah. And of course, we didn't know everything that was going to take place in the weeks that have followed. We uh, didn't get to meet last week. So let me just catch you up on what it is that we saw on that first week of Jonah. We saw that God came to a man named Jonah and he told him to go to a city called Nineveh. Nineveh was a capital city uh, where enemies of God's people actually lived. There in Nineveh was a wicked, wicked city. And God told Jonah to go to that city and proclaim his message to them. Well, Jonah didn't like God's plan very much, and so he said, no, I'm not going to go. He rebelled against the word of God, and he actually boarded a ship that was headed 2,500 miles in the opposite direction from the city that Jonah was supposed to be going, the city of Nineveh. And of course, you know, God caused the wind to be stirred up and the storm to rage there on that sea. It scared the sailors that Jonah was sailing with, and after a, a series of events, God directed the hearts and minds of the people on that ship toward Jonah. And Jonah finally came clean and shared that it was his fault that the storm had come to that ship and that they should just throw him overboard. Of course, Jonah goes overboard. The storm goes away. The fish comes and swallows Jonah. And that was sort of the end of Jonah chapter one. Stories that are very familiar with you. But let me remind you what we learned in Jonah one. Here's what we learned. We saw that the story of Jonah is really about God. God's the main character. He's the one that we're learning about most in the book of Jonah. And what we learned about God in Jonah chapter one is that God is bigger than we think and he's better than we imagine. You guys remember that? He's bigger than we think. He's sovereign. He's in control of everything. And not only is he sovereign, he's sovereign everywhere. At all times and all places, God is totally in control. And not only is God bigger than we think, God is better than we imagined. And we saw 
saw last week some, some hints, some indicators of how gracious God really is, how kind and merciful that God really is. Even in the life of Jonah, we saw that instead of ending Jonah's story, there at the end of Jonah chapter one, God continues Jonah's story because God is a God of grace and he's a God of mercy. And so before the storm came to us, I had planned on preaching out of Jonah chapter two last week. And what I wanted us to see in Jonah chapter two was that there are at least four things we learn about God's grace in the prayer that Jonah prayed. And we find these lessons about God's grace. And I was thinking of it in terms of this. We find lessons of grace after the storm, right? So then the storm came to us and we had to postpone last week and here we are this morning and I'm gonna preach the same message that God had laid on my heart last week and it's grace after the storm. And I hope we as a community can see that God's timing is always right, that we are celebrating grace after the storm. So let's look at Jonah 2, read the prayer that Jonah prayed in the belly of this fish and let's learn some lessons about God's grace after the storm. Jonah chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading there in verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain or useless idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will repay. Listen to this great phrase. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. A little bit vivid, graphic, but it's a detail we need to know nonetheless. Here's the word of God for us today. And what I want us to see from the prayer of Jonah are four truths about the grace of God that we learn after the storm came to Jonah's life. And here's the first truth about God's grace. God shows his grace by hearing the prayers of those who run. You hear that? God shows his grace by hearing the prayers of those who run. Look at the first good decision Jonah makes there in verse two. Jonah says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, this rebel to God, this disobedient, sinful, dirty guy who hates the people God loves, chooses to run away from God. And yet he says, in my distress, my self-inflicted torment, I called out to the Lord, I prayed, and look at that next line, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, of death, of of hell almost itself, I cried, and you heard my voice. Friends, I have got incredibly good news for every single one of you and every single person in this community this morning. Just because you've turned your back on God doesn't mean God's turned his back on you. Just because you would choose 
To abandon God doesn't mean that God has chosen to abandon you. God hears the prayers of those who run. We may be prone to wander, but listen to me, friend. God is prone to grace and mercy and kindness, even in the lives of his rebel children. Even in the hearts and lives of those who choose to run. Now listen, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? Before I go too far down this road, I want you to know God is not a genie in a bottle. So so don't get the wrong idea. You don't live in rebellion and then think God's just one wish away from granting everything that you demand. Like, God, I know I'm living totally against your will, but I would really like the red Ferrari. So what do you think? And then whoosh, it shows up in your driveway. You you know, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm talking about is the prayer that Jonah prayed. God hears the prayer that Jonah prayed. What was the prayer that Jonah prayed? Well, he was sinking down into the water, into the deeps, and he cried out, God, save me. Show me mercy. God, give me grace. And so he prays, God, will you save me? And so God, hears this prayer, this prayer of rescue from our rebellion, this prayer of grace from our mistakes. Jonah cries out, God, I'm a goner if you don't show up. If it's, if it's not for you, I'm gone. And so let me just say this, friends. God hears the prayers of those who run. When they call out, God, if you don't save me, I won't be saved. If you don't rescue me, I've got no hope. And here's the deal. I know that for some of you, you need to do that for the first time in your life. Some of you for the first time in your life need to come to this place where you realize that you are lost in your own sin and your own brokenness and you can't save yourself. You can't rescue yourself. And this morning is the realization that God desires to give you, that he wants to show you mercy and show you grace. And I wanna encourage you for the first time, would you see that God has reached out in grace by giving you his son, Jesus Christ, to live the life you couldn't live You rebelled, but Jesus obeyed perfectly to die the death that you should have died a payment for your sin and rebellion on the cross. And Jesus was raised again three days later to brand new life so that Jesus would not only give his life for you, he could live his life through you in resurrection power. Some of you need to call on Jesus for the very first time to save you and rescue you. And here's what I want you to know. All, all, all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. The Bible's so clear about that, but here's what I want to, here's what I was praying about. Some of you need to pray that prayer for the, the thousandth time. And I don't mean a prayer to be saved all over again. I mean in your battle against your own sin, your battle against your own brokenness. You may say, I called on Christ to save me when I was four or five or 10 or 20 or whatever. This thing I did once, And you're realizing more and more as you grow that you can't fight sin the way you thought you could fight sin. And you need to call out to God, even in the battle against your own sin as his own child. God, if you don't give me grace and if you don't save me, I won't be saved. If you don't break the power of sin in my life, I can't break it myself. And here's the deal. All who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. And so here's the first point of grace. God shows his grace 
by hearing the prayers of those who run. The second thing we see is this. God shows his grace through circumstances we would never choose for ourselves. Do you know that there are times when God will allow us to go through circumstances that are hard and overwhelming and difficult for us? Did you know that? And he'll do it because it's good for us. Before I begin studying this series, if you had asked me, so why was Jonah swallowed by the fish? I think I would have said something like this. Well, Jonah disobeyed God and Jonah was disobedient. Jonah was swallowed by a fish because he ran away from God. And here's the deal. There is certainly some truth to that kind of answer. But as I've been praying and reading over this book, I've begun to change my first response. Jonah wasn't swallowed by a fish because he was disobedient or rebellious. Jonah was swallowed swallowed by the fish because God is gracious and merciful. Do you realize this? The fish wasn't God's judgment. It was God's grace. The the, the fish was God's answer to Jonah's prayer to be rescued. Let's look at this together. Look back at verse two and, and notice this. Jonah says this, I called out to the Lord. That's past tense, right? So I did that. I called out. I prayed that God would save me out of my distress. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried out. It's past tense. And you heard my voice. That's past tense too. I prayed. God, you answered. I cried out. God, you heard. Look at verse three. And look at the description of his distress that he was rescued from. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. That's the water, right? And the flood surrounded me. That's the water, right? All your waves and your billows passed over me. That's the water, right? Verse four, then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life out of the pit, O Lord. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Past tense, he says, I was dying. You spared my life. I was in distress. You rescued me and you heard me. Where was Jonah? And when he prayed that prayer in the past tense. Where was he? Verse one tells you. He was in the belly of the fish. In the belly of the fish, Jonah says, God, you've saved me. You have rescued me. The fish was God's mercy and grace. And here's one thing I think we all can agree on. Living in the belly of a fish isn't something we would choose for ourselves, right? I've stayed in some pretty uncomfortable places. There was this Motel 6 once when my parents took me on vacation. It was a nightmare. I don't even know where it was, but I'm just saying it was terrible. But I seriously cannot imagine what it would be like to be closed into a belly of a fish the stench of dead and rotting fish, the burn of stomach acid, the pressure, the darkness. Can you imagine the complete unknown of it all? Like what's happening next? How long am I gonna be here? How long can I survive in here? What's what's going to happen? Where am I gonna come out? Where am I gonna come up? It had to be absolutely miserable, miserable. But do you know what Jonah says? His misery was God's mercy. And some of us need to begin redefining the experiences of our life 
through this lens. We need to start redefining our experiences by what God is doing for us in our misery and not what God is doing to us in our misery. Do you realize this? The hard circumstances of life help us redefine what really matters. That's where we are living today. Do you know that it would be the worst possible thing that God would allow to happen for us, for you and me, that we would live our lives in this carefree contentment in our own sin without God, that that we would coast through our experience here on this earth totally content in our rebellion against God. Do you know that God loves you more than that? He does not want you to live a life of self-destruction in a contented way where you drift off into eternity without him. And God loves you so much, he desires to rescue you, and he loves you so much in his rescuing you that God is willing to make you, listen to this, God is willing to make you temporarily unhappy so that he can make you holy so that you can experience eternal joy in him. And we need to start seeing the circumstances of our lives through the lens of what God is doing for us in our misery, not what life or God is doing to us. And here's the story. I get to see this all the time. I I know plenty of people who don't pray, who don't give God a second thought, who gather in a church service maybe once in a while, who say a prayer for their food as they sit down at dinner as though they're giving God a tip of their hat They're kind of nodding to him in their life and then moving on with the rest of their life and then tragedy strikes. The doctor's report isn't what they hoped. The loss of their job shakes them up and in their misery, they are turned finally to God in earnest and it proves the point. Their misery was God's mercy. Circumstances they would never choose have brought them back to God. And listen, God shows his grace even in circumstances we would never choose. And that leads me to the next truth about God's grace. God shows his grace to bring us to continual repentance. This is a super important point for us, guys. Many of us have grown uncomfortable with a false definition of what grace actually is. Many of us think that grace is permission to live however we want, to do whatever we want, to go wherever we want, to be whatever we want. And you need to hear that grace is not the work that God does to let us live any way that we want. Grace is not designed even to protect us from the, 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 the consequences of sinful decisions. Grace is designed to bring us to repentance. And in Jonah's prayer, I want you to see the snapshot that we get of repentance. Remember in chapter one, Jonah is running from the presence of the Lord. You guys remember that? He runs from the presence of the Lord. But in verse four, Jonah says something. Look what he says in verse four. He says, I'm driven away from your sight. But, look at this sense of hope he has now that God has rescued him. He says, yeah, I shall look again to your holy temple. 
Now, the temple was the place on earth where God most clearly manifest his presence. And I hope you're hearing what Jonah's saying there. From the depths of the ocean, a world away from the clearest manifestation of God's presence on earth, Jonah's hope, his deepest desire, has turned from wanting to run away to Tarshish, 2,500 miles away, to wanting to be again in the presence of Almighty God. That's Jonah's way of saying, God, I want you again. I want to be near you again. I want to be close to you again. I want to feel your presence more than comfort, more than my plans, more than having my life my way. I want you. And you want to know what, church? That is true repentance. True repentance is what occurs in our hearts when we begin to want God more than we want other things than we want any other thing, that our heart is turned from wanting our sin or our selfishness or our sinful patterns of destruction to wanting God and his grace. That's repentance. And one other thing about repentance before I move on, repentance isn't the same as perfection. To be repentant doesn't mean that you're gonna be perfect even in your repentance. Jonah is a great illustration of that. He's repentant here. He's turning to God saying, I want to be in your presence. I want to know you. I want to be near you again. But by chapter four, his attitude stinks again and he's being called to repent again. And you need to know this. When you start to desire God in a way that, 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 that wants him more than any other thing, there are going to be temptations in your life. I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect. What I'm saying is the repentance occurs in the life of someone who says, I want you, God, more than I want the things that pull me away from you. And even as I begin to be tempted by the things that pull me away to you, away from you. God, I want you again. I want you again. Repentance is the Christian life. Turning continually to God and saying, God, I want you more. And sometimes I realize the best you and I can do is say, God, I want to want you more. Uh, I don't want you more than all this other stuff. I don't want you more than, than money or fame or power. I don't want you more than comfort. I don't want you more, but I want to want you more. That's the beginning of repentance in the heart of a child. And that's where we need to find ourselves today. In a place of saying, God, I want you more. And where I don't want you more, I want to want you more than things like convenience and comfort. I want to want you the way that I should want you. And for those who turn to God that way, who say, I, I, wanna, I want you more, I, you need to hear this last truth about God's grace. It's the fourth truth about God's grace. God shows his grace in giving second chances. Look at verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I know that doesn't sound very glorious. (laughs) But that is the next step. And God's saying, my plan still stands for you. Because chapter three comes and we find Jonah in Nineveh and God using him in a powerful way. God shows his grace in giving second chances. I really thought you would enjoy that point more than that. I'm just saying, because I was pretty certain most of you needed a second chance. Let let me tell you what came to my mind. Uh, I've got a really close friend. His sister ran away from home when she was a teenager. 
And uh, before she ran home, ran away from home, she realized that she didn't have any money. She didn't, she couldn't take care of herself. And so she took all of her things, all of her stuff that her parents had bought her over the years and all of the stuff that was in her room in her parents' home. She took all of those things, loaded them in her car. She took them to a local pawn shop and she traded them all away. She gave them all away. And then she went and took that money and she lived however she felt like living at the time in rebellion and turning away from her parents. And for a long time, for a long time, she lived in rebellion to her mom and dad. And then years down the road, God began to work on her heart. God began to work on her heart. And what happened is she started to be turned again saying, I want my mom and dad. Why am I living like this? Why am I doing this? And, and just like Jonah, there's this, there's this epiphany moment for her where, where she, she realizes, what have I traded? What have I given my whole life away for? And she goes back to her mom and dad and says, will you take me back? Will you take me back? And of course, her parents show her love and grace and, and they, they wrap her arms around you. And she realizes she'd lost so much in her rebellion, but God had given her so much grace and her parents. And her parents let her back in her, her home and, and she, she, she came to live with them. And when she went back up into her room, she opened the door and she found everything that she had sold away. When she'd left her house, her dad found out that she'd pawned everything she'd ever been given. And he went around to all the pawn shops and bought back everything she'd given. And he brought it to her room. He set it there so that when she came home, she'd have a home to come home to. And let me just tell you something. God's like that only 10,000 times better. Some of you need to know this. You've given a lot away. You've given a lot away. And your rebellion and, and your greed and your materialism, even, even just in your, your nonchalance, your complacency, the fact that you give God a tip out of your week, a moment out of your day, you've given a lot away. And here's what I want you to know. God's just better than you are bad. He's better than you are bad. And in his grace, God gives his children second chances. Everything you've sold, Jesus has purchased and will redeem God is a God of grace and he gives us grace in our second chances. You may have blown it, but you haven't ruined God's plan. You may not get it all right, but you can't mess it all up. God's just bigger and better than you. And and one last thing before we close, I just wanna show you this out of verse eight. Look at verse eight. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Here's what Jonah realizes in seeing how gracious that God is. He realizes this, grace only comes from God. There's no other place to get it. The kind of grace that we've been talking about, the kind of grace that we see in the scriptures, there's only one way to get it. Jesus himself said it this way in John chapter 14, verse six. He says, I am the way 
the truth and the life and no one comes to God, the Father, God, the Father of grace. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in, in every other place, every other way, every other attempt to please God or to navigate life or to do it your own way is what, what Jonah calls here in verse eight, a vain idol. And should you give your life away to a vain idol, you need to hear this very clearly. You are forsaking God's grace and his steadfast love. There is no other way but through Jesus. God has poured it out on us. And I want to encourage all of you, enjoy and receive and trust in the grace of God that comes through Jesus and, and as I was thinking over this, I began to just ask, how should we respond? Like, what should we do? These truths about God's grace are amazing, but what should we do? Look at verse nine. But, but I, look at this, verse nine. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I vowed, I will pay. And here's the song of praise. Salvation belongs to the Lord. How should we respond? We should respond to God's grace with thanksgiving. You know what? My favorite time this week, my favorite moment this week happened last, sat, last Sunday night. It was Sunday evening. We'd already lost our electricity. Um, the storm was starting to ramp up in those evening hours. And just before the worst of the worst of that storm came our way, we were there in our home and we had no power. And we had some friends, some individuals who were staying with us. And so our family gathered together in the family room. And we began to, to have one of our friends who was staying with us start to play the piano and started playing some songs. And we started to play some songs and we started to sing songs of praise to God there in the middle of the storm. We started singing, how great thou art. It is well with my soul. We started singing some new hymns that we've been singing about how God is worthy of praise. And in that moment, there in the middle of the storm, we began to think about God's praise and, I, and his grace and his mercy and his power. And I started getting goosebumps as we were, we were just praising God and talking about how worthy he is, how wonderful he is, how kind he is. And I started to praise God in a, in a way that was so powerful there in my living room because as I began to, to sing praises to God, I started to think, God, you're so kind, you're so gracious. And it doesn't change. Even if I lose all of this, including my life, you've given me yourself. You've given me eternity. You've given me what cannot be taken away in life or death. And I praised God in the midst of the storm because God is worthy of praise in the midst of the storm. And here's the story. God is gracious to us at all times. And if that storm had hit Merritt Island as the hardest point on earth, these truths about God would still be true. That he would hear the prayers of his people and he would show them his grace in the hardest of times. That, that he would turn people's hearts to repentance and that he would give second chances to those that remain and turn to him. These truths are true right now for everyone who's already felt the brunt of the hardest storms we've seen this year because they're always true. And how should we respond? We should respond by thank you, God. 
I was, I was driving down the street. Uh, I think it was Tuesday. We're cleaning up. I think I was going out to try and get some gas for some of my, my neighbor's generators. And one of my neighbors stopped me and I was talking with him. And he said, you know, I was just thinking uh, at the end of this all, I think everybody in this community needs to sit down and just really, really clearly say, thank you, God. And I said, you know what? I think you're right. And so church, let's do that. I know we've already said a prayer of thanksgiving, but let's praise God for being the same yesterday, today, and forever, for being gracious in the hardest points of life, for having truth that defines our reality so that no matter what, even if we had lost it all, these things would still be true and God would still be worthy of praise. So would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Let's enter into a time of prayer and thanksgiving. And right there at your seat, would you just thank God for his grace to you? Specifically, would you thank God that he has given you in his grace things that could never be taken away by any storm, by any tragedy? Would you pray that God would give you eyes to see how God is using the hard circumstances of this week and those in your life that aren't even tied to this week, how God is using those hard circumstances to bring him glory and to bring you good? And would you thank God for giving us second chances and third and fourth and fifth that his kindness does not come to an end. Father, we praise you. We praise you for you are awesome. You're gracious and merciful even to rebels like us, even to people who who quickly and easily turn to vain idols, the idols of comfort and convenience and entertainment. Lord, we praise you for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, I pray that you would seal in our hearts a deep faith and dependence on your grace, that we would call on you and trust that you hear the prayers of those who call out for salvation in Jesus. God, I pray that our hearts would be continually repentant, that even in the hardness of life, we would see the goodness of God. And Lord, I pray that we would draw to you and want you more, And Father, in those areas where we would say in all honesty, we don't want you the way we should, God, would you give us the desire to at least want to want you? Lord, I praise you, Father, that you give us new starts and second chances. Father, I thank you for Jonah's story. Lord, many of us could have a book written about us in the ways that you have shown us so much mercy and grace. Lord, I thank you for a group of people who've gathered in this room under the heading of the second chance grace. Lord, we love you. We give you thanks and praise. And we ask you, Father, turn our hearts to Jesus. Continue to allow us to see you at work in our lives. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.